This podcast is supported by FedEx. FedEx offers fast delivery, more visibility, simple returns, and weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. population on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. With FedEx, you get picture proof of delivery, ensuring you always know where your package is. Returns are simple with packageless and paperless returns. Plus, FedEx Ground is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. So, what are you waiting for? See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, the coldest case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than just a house. It's your home, the place that's filled with memories. The early days of figuring it out to the later years of still figuring it out. For the place you've put down roots, trust Amica Home Insurance. Amica. Empathy is our best policy. This man says Prince Mohammed bin Salman, the ruler of Saudi Arabia, sent an assassination team to kill him, just as the prince did for Jamal Khashoggi. I am here to sound the alarm about a psychopath killer in the Middle East with infinite resources, who poses threat to his people, to the Americans, and to the planet. How did he escape, and why is he going public? That's our story tonight. This is it? That's it. Oh, wow. If you are traveling by air over the summer, and millions of Americans are, would you jump at the chance to get to your destination in half the time? When I look several decades out, you know, what I want is to be able to be anywhere in the world in four hours for 100 bucks. Now, that's not where we start, but that's the end goal. knock a doodle do. Ah, oh, good morning, Coach Lasso. Well, that's a heaping spoonful of truth soup right there. What do you think the uh, legacy of Ted Lasso is decades from now? Well, folks keep watching it. Hey, Higgins! It's a decent chance it'll pay for my kid's college, unless I, <laughs> unless I blow it all. You don't think it's already done that? You don't think I've already blown it? Nope. <laughs> I'm Leslie Stahl. I'm Bill Whitaker. I'm Anderson Cooper. I'm Sharon Alfonsi. I'm John Wertheim. I'm Nora O'Donnell. I'm Scott Pelley. Those stories tonight on 60 Minutes. What makes a life a good one? 
Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm-mm-mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Much of the world was horrified when Saudi Arabia sent a hit squad to Turkey to murder Washington Post columnist Jamal Khashoggi. Tonight... The man you're about to meet says a second Saudi assassination team was sent to kill him in Canada. Saad al-Jabri was number two in Saudi intelligence, and he was among the best friends America had against terrorism. Now Saad is asking America's help. Truth is hard to triangulate among spies, despots, and the Middle East, and as we first reported in October, you're going to hear that Saad al-Jabri may not be spotless. But as a spymaster, Saad says he has one more favor for America, a warning about a prince with the power to trouble the world. I am here to sound the alarm about a psychopath killer in the Middle East with infinite resources who poses threat to his people, to the Americans, and to the planet. Saad al-Jabri is talking about Mohammed bin Salman, who seized power behind the back of the man greeting President Obama. That's Mohammed bin Nayef, then heir to the throne. But in 2017, Nayef was arrested by Prince Mohammed bin Salman. A psychopath. A psychopath with no empathy, doesn't feel emotion, never learned from his experience, and we have witnessed atrocities and crimes committed by the killer. A source from U.S. intelligence told Assad al-Jabri would never show up for this interview. He'd lived too long in a silent profession. The fact that he did show up is a measure of his desperation. Saad is 63, married, eight children. He started as a cop, but rose to the top of Saudi intelligence and earned a PhD in the science of artificial intelligence. He could be seen in the Oval Office with American ambassadors, the U.S. Military Command, and with Michael Morell, former acting director of the CIA. I'm a big admirer. I found Dr. Saad to be extraordinarily bright. I found him to be incredibly loyal to his country. Would you say honorable? Honorable, yes, absolutely. But in 2017, Saad found himself on the wrong side of Prince Mohammed's coup. The deposed Prince Nayef was Saad's boss. 
Saad fled to Canada, where he remains and refuses to return. Now, Prince Mohammed is making Saad's family pay. The very day of the coup, two of his children were barred from leaving the kingdom. This is his daughter, Sarah. Happy birthday to you. And his son, Omar. Both plan to be in American colleges. They are now in Saudi prisons. Next, the family says Prince Mohammed targeted Saad's son-in-law. They claim the son-in-law was kidnapped in a third country and returned to the kingdom. The first night he was kidnapped, he received more than 100 lashes. He was tortured. Um, he was beaten on his back, on his legs. Khalid al-Jabri is Saad's eldest son. What was he told he was being detained for? He was being told that he was detained and tortured as a proxy for his father-in-law, meaning my dad. They even asked him a question. Who do you think we should arrest and torture so Dr. Saad can come back to the kingdom? Their story recalls Washington Post columnist Jamal Khashoggi, a critic of Prince Mohammed. In 2018, a year after his coup, U.S. intelligence says Prince Mohammed sent a team to Turkey to lure Khashoggi to a Saudi consulate and dismember him. Saad told us that days later, before Khashoggi's murder was known to the public, he received a warning. A friend in a Middle Eastern intelligence service said another hit team was headed for Saad in Canada. And the warning I received, don't be in a proximity of any Saudi mission in Canada. Don't go to the consulate. Don't go to the embassy. said, why? Say they dismembered the guy. They kill him. You are on the top of the list. Saad says a six-person team landed at the Ottawa airport in mid-October 2018. He says members of the team lied to customs about knowing one another, and they carried suspicious equipment for DNA analysis. The team was deported. Canada seems to confirm at least part of this story, saying, We are aware of incidents in which foreign actors have attempted to threaten those living in Canada. It is completely unacceptable. Is that the way intelligence organizations work in this world? It's not a norm in this world. It's a norm for countries like Russia and North Korea. It's not a norm for um, almost any other country in the world. Do you think Mohammed bin Salman fears you? He fears my information. Saad told us his information includes a 2014 meeting between Prince Mohammed on the left and the then head of intelligence, Mohammed bin Nayef. It was three years before the coup. Saad claims the young prince boasted to Nayef that he could kill the sitting king, Abdullah, to clear the throne for his own father. And he told him, I want to assassinate King Abdullah. I got a poison ring from Russia. It's enough for me just to shake hand with him, and he will be done. A poison ring from Russia? That's what he said, whether he's just bragging, or, but he said that, and we took it seriously. By we, Saad means Saudi intelligence took it seriously. The alleged threat, he says, was handled within the royal family. So Saad told us he watched the meeting on a video recording. 
Does this video recording still exist? Yes. I know where it is now. I know there are two copies of that. I know where they are. Prince Mohammed is 36 and wields unlimited power on behalf of his ailing 86-year-old father, King Salman. The prince is admired by some for allowing women to drive, permitting movie theaters, and disbanding the religious police who once assaulted couples for holding hands. There's two groups of people in Saudi Arabia. There are those who are very happy with Mohammed bin Salman, the 70% of the population that's under 30. He is not popular with the old guard, with the royal family, because he changed the system. But much of that change has been reckless. His war in Yemen has killed thousands of civilians in what the UN says may be war crimes. He invited Lebanon's leader to visit Saudi Arabia, took him hostage, and forced him to resign. He detained hundreds of potential rivals until they signed over their wealth, jailed women calling for human rights, and murdered Jamal Khashoggi. I expect to be killed one day because this guy will not rest off until he sees me dead. But what does America owe Saad al-Jabri? We asked former CIA acting director and CBS News consultant Michael Morell, who worked closely with Saad from 2010 to 2013. Is it too much to say that Saad may have saved American lives? He absolutely, Dr. Saad absolutely saved American lives. He saved Saudi lives, many of them, and he saved American lives. Can you name any of those cases? The one I can talk about is the so-called printer cartridge plot. In 2010, Al-Qaeda hid bombs in two desktop printers. They were in the air as cargo headed to the U.S. on two planes, perhaps intended to explode over American cities. But thanks to intelligence relayed by Saad al-Jabri, the bombs were intercepted during layovers. Are there any other examples of times that Saad had saved American lives? There are. What are they? I can't talk about them because they're still classified. Are there several? There are many. Many. While working in that classified world, Saad al-Jabri became enormously wealthy. Prince Mohammed typically accuses potential rivals of corruption, and Saudi entities are suing Saad in the U.S. and Canada claiming he stole as much as $500 million from the counterterrorism budget. Did you steal the money? No. If you didn't steal the money, how did you get so rich? You know, I, I, I have served a royal monarchy in a close approximately for, for two decades. Three kings, four crown reigns. They've been nice to me. They've been very generous. It's a tradition in Saudi Arabia royal family. They take care of people around them. I don't know if Dr. Saad um, uh, was corrupt in any way. I wouldn't be surprised if he wasn't because he's such an honorable man. But I also wouldn't be surprised if he was because everybody, to some extent, had their hand in the kitty. And King Abdullah allowed it, permitted it. 
But in the Saudi lawsuit against Saad, the Canadian judge has said there is, quote, overwhelming evidence of fraud. And so she has frozen his assets as the case moves forward. The Saudi government declined an interview, but in a statement it said, Saad al-Jabri is a discredited former government official with a long history of fabricating and creating distractions to hide the financial crimes he committed. He implies that stealing was acceptable at the time, but it wasn't acceptable nor legal then, and it isn't now. Saad says he's thinking only of his imprisoned children. I have to speak out. I am appealing to the American people and to the American administration to help me to release those children and to restore their life. Saad al-Jabri told us he's recorded a death video that reveals more secrets of the royal family and some of the United States. He gave us a short, silent clip of the video, which he told us, quote, could be released if he is killed. It includes a message to Omar and Sarah, his imprisoned children. I told them, I'm sorry. I tried my best. Does the United States, as a country, owe anything to Saad? Do I feel some obligation to Dr. Saad? Yes. Does the United States of America, if the people at CIA do, the people at CIA do, you know, whether the country does or not, I don't, I don't know. It's a little bit of a hard question. It's been hard for presidents to stand up to Mohammed bin Salman, Neither the Trump nor Biden administrations publicly sanctioned him after Khashoggi. Saudi oil isn't as important as it once was, but countering Iran is, which has led to a certain tolerance of a menacing prince. That tolerance will include a meeting between President Biden and Mohammed bin Salman this week during the president's visit to Saudi Arabia. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders, while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. If you have ever suffered through what felt like an endless flight on a cramped plane, you might jump at the chance to get to your destination in half the time. Does New York to Los Angeles in under three hours sound appealing? The last commercial supersonic flight was almost 20 years ago 
And even then, super-fast flights were only on very limited routes. Most of today's jetliners actually fly more slowly than they did 20 or 30 years ago in order to save fuel. But that may be about to change. It's still a long shot, but as we first reported last November, private startup companies with a big assist from NASA may just give us all another chance to fly faster than the speed of sound. When British Airways Flight 002 roared into the New York sky on October 24, 2003, everyone on board, passengers and pilots, knew that something special was coming to an end. Enjoy the moment, as you are the last people in the world as passengers to cruise at twice the speed of sound. The supersonic Concorde, a joint effort of the British and French governments, was making its last flight after nearly 30 years in the air, grounded by a combination of stratospheric costs and safety concerns after a deadly crash in 2000. Even people watching that last landing in London were emotional. I just love airplanes. And there's not going to be anything like Concorde again, is there? Never. Well, you know that old maxim, never say never. Supersonic's coming back, and it's going to be different this time. It's, it's back to stay. Blake Scholl is the founder and CEO of Boom. His audacious goal is to build a new supersonic airliner from scratch. Has a private company ever built a, a supersonic aircraft? Anywhere? No, no, nowhere. It's been governments and militaries only. Boom is not the only American startup company in the new supersonic sweepstakes. Spike is developing an ultra-fast business jet, and Hermius aspires to make a hypersonic plane that would fly five times the speed of sound. But Boom is the only entrant to actually build an airplane. This is it? That's it. Oh, wow. So far, Blake Scholl and Boom have built this single-seater test plane, which they hope will fly this year. The passenger jet meant to follow is called Overture. It only exists in artist renderings, but it's real enough for one of America's largest airlines to climb on board. So is the Overture the plane that United recently ordered? That's right. United just ordered 15 Overture airplanes. So more Overtures than Concords ever delivered into service. Is this United deal like a um, uh, stamp of approval? I think it's incredibly validating. You know, when you are United, you take, you take these things really seriously. Seriously enough to produce a slick promotional video that's already playing on many United flights. The ad may say Supersonic is here, but it's not, not yet. Blake Scholl is a software engineer who started his career at Amazon, not in aerospace. But he insists he's going to make it happen. When I look several decades out, you know, what I want is to be able to be anywhere in the world in four hours for 100 bucks. Now, that's not where we start, but that's the end goal. The Concorde charged thousands, thousands of dollars for a one-way flight from New York to London. How is it going to be possible for you to have a similar flight experience for $100? You keep iterating. And so the same way, you know, for example, electric cars, when they first came out, they were pretty expensive. But we kept working on them, and the price came down, they got better and better. And so we're going to do the same thing with supersonic jets. We're going to keep working on them. We're going to keep innovating. This industry needs people dreaming big. Mm. That is essential. This industry was built on that. 
John Ostrauer is editor-in-chief of The Air Current, a publication that tracks every development in commercial aviation, including Boom and Blake Scholl. He admits that it's, uh, something like he is proposing has never been done by a, a, a private company before, um, but yet he's convinced that he can do it. Do you think he can? I think you cannot ignore the obstacles that will be on the path to getting there. And I think the amount of money that is, is required to make this happen uh, makes this a very long shot. How much money will it take? Probably in the neighborhood of at least 15 or 20 billion. Ostrauer says that's about what it cost Boeing to develop and build and certify a new subsonic airliner and they already have huge manufacturing facilities. Boom doesn't. Blake Scholl told us he can get Overture built for seven to eight billion dollars, but that's a lot more than the 300 million he's raised so far. And money's not the only hurdle. Boom and United have promised their new plane will operate on 100% sustainable aviation fuel, but that doesn't exist yet in anything like the quantities they'll need. Oh, and one other thing. They're going to need an engine to do this. And they don't have the engine yet. They don't have an engine. Blake Scholl says an engine is on the way, from the same company that built the supersonic engines for the Concorde. And we are working with Rolls-Royce on a uh, custom jet engine that will power Overture. You're working with Rolls-Royce. It, it doesn't ex this engine does not exist yet? It is a, it is a lightly customized engine. And part of that is Rolls-Royce's work, where they're kind of turning some design knobs. Blake Scholl doesn't dismiss the skeptics, but he points to the example of Elon Musk and says not so long ago, no one thought he could build Teslas and reusable rockets. Where's this passion come from? It's because we stopped making progress on the speed of travel. You know, the airplanes we have today are no faster than the ones we had when my parents were growing up. And there is no good reason for that. It doesn't have to be. We can fix it. When do you expect the first paying customers to fly on one of your planes? By the end of the decade. Supersonic really only makes sense on flights of four or five hours or more. But thousands of such routes are out of reach to boom. The reason is in the very name of his company. That's the sound of a sonic boom created by a plane breaking the sound barrier. Listen again. The first boom was made by Chuck Yeager's X-1 rocket plane when it passed through Mach 1, about 660 miles per hour, back in 1947. And he does it. What is the sonic boom? What generates it? So when an aircraft flies faster than the speed of sound, it creates disturbances. Mike Buonanno is a top engineer at Lockheed Martin's Skunk Works Aircraft Design Studio in California. Dave Richardson is his boss. A lot of us understand the wake that's generated by a ship or a boat. And so imagine that wake from a speedboat or whatever, all those different waves coming to be one large wave. Those individual disturbances created up by the airplane, they combine together to make a loud double bang. The Federal Aviation Administration tested the impact of that big bang back in 1964 by flying military supersonic jets like these over Oklahoma City for six months. The outcome? Broken bricks and ceilings, frayed nerves, and public outrage. It was just 
patently obvious that no one was going to tolerate such a loud noise on a day-to-day basis. The result was a ban on civilian supersonic flights everywhere in the world other than over open water. And that basically hit the brakes on the development of commercial air travel in terms of advancing speed. Up until uh, that ban, every decade, air travel had gotten faster and faster. The ban remains in place today, so if BOOM gets its overture in the air, it will only be able to serve long transoceanic routes similar to what the Concorde flew. So if you want to go from JFK in New York to Paris, that's uh, okay. But for many of us, we want to fly places over land. Here living in Los Angeles, almost everywhere I want to go, uh, flying east requires overland travel, and that's one of the big problems that we're trying to solve. Wonano and Richardson and their Lockheed Martin team have been commissioned by NASA to build a test plane that can fly twice as fast as current airliners without rattling nerves or breaking windows. Your mission is to get rid of this sonic boom. That's right. The entire point of the airplane is to reduce sonic boom. The airplane is called the X-59. It will look like this when it makes its first flight later this year. For now, it looks like this inside Lockheed Martin's assembly building. You're looking at the cockpit of the airplane, and there's no forward windscreen. This is it. Every part of the X-59 is streamlined and smooth to disperse sound waves and transform the loud sonic boom into a much quieter thump. If you look at it, it's pretty slick. I mean, it looks like a dart. Nils Larsen is the NASA test pilot whose job it will be to prove that the X-59 can replace the sonic boom with a simple thump. Later this year, he'll pilot some of the early test flights and then its first sound tests. That's coming to a town near you. So our researchers are going to work with the public and we're going to fly over various cities and towns, and they're going to give us the feedback of that thump. Was that thump too loud? You know, did you even hear it at all? So if you are able to fly over populated areas and provide this data, then the FAA will use this data perhaps to lift this ban. Uh, Exactly. Are we likely to see planes in the future flying supersonic that look like this one? I certainly hope so, and I think you will. So there are definite things that you would see if you walked into a commercial, you know, supersonic airplane here, you know, 10, 12 years from now, and you were to look at that, you could see, you know, some DNA that goes back to the X-59. Larson took us over to NASA's X-59 flight simulator, and the first thing we noticed is that there's a TV screen in place of the missing windshield. For you, does it work as well as yeah, using I think your own eyes. So far, I think it does. About to go through Mach 1. There's Mach 1. You know, you see it was. So we're now going supersonic. Yep, you're now supersonic. Larson gave me a turn in the cockpit, not to fly supersonic, but to land the X 59, which is tricky given that it's shaped like a pencil, has no windshield, and I'm not a pilot. Come up, follow him up just a little bit. So pull back just a little bit, a little bit more, and just hold it right there. Just hold it right there. There you go. He just landed the X-59 and in the I middle landed, of the runway. I That's better than it. I did. Yeah. <laughs> Sign him up. Nils Larsen will start test flying the real X-59 later this year. 
and soon after that he'll be flying it over us, and if it's quiet enough, future planes that follow its design lead could eventually fly us lots of places, twice as fast as we can get there now. When might I be able to fly from New York to Los Angeles in a supersonic so there's plane? So a, there's a long line of things that have to happen, starting with the X-59. But I think 2035 is your answer. Uh, if everything marches along the way that it's supposed to. It's something that people have been trying to solve for, for decades. Have you guys solved that problem? We believe we have. It's rewarding seeing it getting built, but I think that real aha moment for me is going to be when I hear that first shaped boom from X-59. Thump, thump. The thump, thump, thump. We won't hear this bang. And when we hear or don't hear that sound is when we know we did it. Lockheed Martin and NASA plan the first test flights of their X-59 sometime this year. For its part, Boom has chosen the location for the factory where it intends to build the Overture airliner, Greensboro, North Carolina. But it still doesn't have an engine for the Overture. <sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. When Emmy nominations are announced this week, expect to hear the television show Ted Lasso mentioned a lot. It's a fish-out-of-water story about an American football coach from Kansas who moves to London, England to take charge of a professional soccer team, despite knowing nothing of the sport. The tale of Ted Lasso may sound improbable, but as we first reported in March, the series has become a phenomenon and changed the game in Hollywood. So when production for the third season was about to begin, we went to London to meet as many members of the ensemble cast as we could, including Jason Sudeikis, Ted Lasso's mastermind and alter ego, to find out how the show scored. Knock-a-doodle-doo. Ah, oh, good morning, Coach Lasso. Did you set out and say, I want a character that's all about positivity and kindness and can transform people, bring out the best in people? To play the character was intentional. To play someone that was kind-hearted, that didn't swear, be like Teflon towards people's negativity or, or, or sarcasm, 100% intentional. Kindness and positivity yeah. can be transformative. Yeah, and so can the opposite. But I mean, if you had to choose one, at, this, at that point of writing it and wanting to play it, I'd much rather try to view the world you know, as Ted Lasso. That way is the Lasso way. Jason Sudeikis told us the comedy in Ted Lasso rolls onto the screen like a Trojan horse. How do y'all cowboys? Sometimes farcical. Morning, Ted. Hey, Higgins. 
Often profane. Just gonna watch your ass. <laughs> Carrying with it homespun wisdom and warmth. Well, that's a heaping spoonful of truth soup right there. The show defied not just the dark times of the pandemic, but sometimes logic itself. Do you believe in ghosts, Ted? Mm, I do. But more importantly, I think they need to believe in themselves. As coach of the fictional soccer team known as AFC Richmond, Sudeikis likes to say Ted Lasso is the best version of himself. One quality both character and actor share is curiosity. I saw this quote by Walt Whitman. It was painted on the wall there. It said, be curious, not judgmental. I like that. Walt Whitman never wrote or said, be curious, not judgmental, yet it's become more than just a catchphrase. My mom's parish, is, uh, South Side of Chicago, Christ the King, you know, had like a Bible study class. And what was the Bible study about? Probably like, be curious, not judgmental. The gospel according to Ted Lasso, something like that. Maybe I think it might have been something like that. Football is football no matter where you play it. The show's success is even more extraordinary when you consider its origins. Nearly 10 years ago, long before Ted Lasso became gospel, he began as an arrogant, incurious commercial. Hey, how you doing? This is Ted Lasso, and uh, I'd like to talk to the queen, please. NBC Sports needed a buzzy ad campaign to promote soccer's English Premier League in the U.S., so they called Sudeikis, who was finishing up a 10-year run on Saturday Night Live. Skip like little girls. Go not a, not a care of the world. He said the job sounded like fun, especially when he was allowed to invite two old friends along for the ride. So before you guys created Ted Lasso, you were actually best friends. I don't know, best uh, I mean, you know, a lot of people in our life. Overstatement. Yeah, I think we, we got along We're well. fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So how would you describe your relationship? Best, I think best friends, I think probably. <laughs> if I had <laughs> Ted Lasso co-creators Joe Kelly and Brendan Hunt have known each other and Jason Sudeikis for more than 20 years. I'm going to be okay. After the commercials, the trio developed Ted Lasso into a more complete character who shed his arrogant swagger for humble curiosity. In the show, Ted Lasso also deals with divorce. But you're not quitting, Ted and mental health challenges. You're getting paid to just jot down your little notes and diagnose my tears, and then what? All while bringing a feminine approach to a typically masculine job. Y'all got to get together and woman up, hmm? <laughs> Think you mean man up, mate? No, y'all been manning up for a while now. Look what that's got you. If anybody claims that they thought this show or knew this show was going to work, they're fibbing a little bit. No one was sure. The three friends got a boost when veteran television producer Bill Lawrence joined the project. What was in Jason's pitch that convinced you? He knew from the start that this was uh, a guy that was uh, putting out a optimistic face. And that would be one note if he wasn't also aware that that was covering up somebody that needed to learn about self-care and being proactive in facing whatever demons they might have. It got moving once Bill was involved. Yeah. Um, yeah. But Bill said this is not a soccer show. Right. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah, he, he basically pounded the, the table and uh, shouted that at a very early uh, writer's session. They said, not a soccer show. This is a, a workplace ensemble comedy. But that's kind of been a guiding principle, you know. It, it takes place in the soccer world, but it's not... It's never about the soccer at all. Yeah, the thing that I was saying like, in the pitch meeting when Bill and I went out was like, this show's as much about soccer as like Rocky is about boxing. What happened when you shopped around 
Ted Lasso here in Hollywood? What was the reaction? <laughs> no. no. <laughs> What, what's the opposite of a bidding war? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, like, uh, uh, we'll, we'll take it. <laughs> Streaming service Apple TV Plus decided to take on Ted Lasso, which is produced by Warner Brothers. Do you think you had more freedom because it was Apple? We went into filming feeling like the underdogs that Richmond were. Like, we weren't coming on the heels of a bidding war. We weren't coming on the heels of, like, here we go with this monster show. And I felt like it, it helped yeah. The, the process, the tone, the feeling, the vibe, everything. The vibe behind the scenes seems to mirror the team seen on the show. We invited Brendan Hunt, who plays Coach Beard. Brentford taking on Crystal Palace. Lasso, Lasso! And Tahib Jamo and Cola Bikini, who portray soccer players on Ted Lasso, to a proper Saturday afternoon match. So I was kind of surprised in talking to the writers that one of the things that you guys deal with in the show are trying to dismantle is toxic masculinity. 100%. Um, I think um, setting a show in, in like a boys locker room and a football locker room is, um, it's is, the, is not, it's the perfect place to like try and tackle that. I think that comes from like just like a culture of like, you know, it's very competitive. Like it's like, like boys being around other boys and like everyone's pretending to be like this version of like what they think a, like a man is or a young man is. You get, you get different versions of people, in it? You know, the person that you are behind closed doors is not the person that you are in, in real life. Yeah. Before he took on Ted Lasso, in real life, Jason Sudeikis hailed from Kansas, just like the coach he now plays. There, he was a college theater star, but just as comfortable playing point guard on the basketball team. He says Richmond is partly based on his old team that also happened to be called the Greyhounds. Bill had one of these hanging in his office. He pointed out on the set... DeMott, named after Martin DeMott, an improv teacher from Second City. Ted Lasso's writers named members of the team after friends, family members, and former mentors. Saskia Moss is one of the owners of Boom Chicago, where Brennan and Joe and I all worked in Amsterdam. One, two, three... It's hard sometimes for one word to capture so many things, but for a lot of people, this is the iconic Ted Lasso. Believe. I know. Believe in yourself, believe in the people around you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Believe in the, in the process. One of the show's breakout stars, Brett Goldstein, believed he could play Roy Kent. Check on your f-ing teammate! The gruff, washed-up tough guy with a heart of gold. I like being Roy Kent. I don't know if I can handle just being some loser has been called Roy. Trouble was, Goldstein was hired to write, not act. Last time I saw eyes that cold, they were going head-to-head with Roy Scheider. While we were writing it about somewhere around episode five, I started to think, I think Roy Kent is living inside me. How did Brett Goldstein go from writer to star? Just flat-out showbiz gumption, you know? And he just felt a connection to the character, and so he, he did a, uh, taped himself, uh, sent it to Bill saying, hey, if this is good, you know, great. If it's not, we never need to talk about this again. And they're like, Brett turned in a Roy video. Oh, did he? <laughs> Fire it up. Yeah. And immediately, like, Brett's Roy. Yeah. It's immediate. You all played like a bunch of little pricks. You hear me? Yes, coach! Roy is very gruff, very angry, and it's always jarring when you call Brett and he answers the phone. Hello? <laughs> How are you? 
how are you, dear friend? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's the sweetest, most gentle man. Yeah. He is a cauldron of emotion that he doesn't want anyone to know about, who has been raised in a culture of almost toxic masculinity to be a wall. And he has all these feelings and these emotions, but he cannot express them all. And he has to keep them pent up, which is why he talks like he talks, because he's holding it all in. It's like a cork. A cork. If he pulled it out, he'd cry and sing and, you know, fly off. You're nearly 70 and you're having a baby? I mean, what are you, a character from the Bible? Hannah Waddingham, who spent much of the last 20 years performing musical theatre in London's West End, plays team owner Rebecca Welton. Why do you think the show resonated with so many people? And does it have something to do with the pandemic? I think it does and it doesn't. People associate it with the pandemic time, of course, because it was a massive hug. And it was a way of everyone blocking it out. The show is a massive hug. Yes. A hug to what? To people. To humanity. It's, a, it's I think it's what everybody needed at the time. They needed a hug and a reminder to be kind to each other, a reminder to include each other, a reminder to check in with each other. Even if you think someone's got their stuff together, they haven't. I also think that had the pandemic not happened, it would have done exactly the same thing because there's something about our show that reminds everyone that you don't have to be cutting to be funny. Hmm. You can be warm and funny and kind and giving and supportive and accepting and funny. And that's what makes Ted Lasso distinct. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. At last year's Emmys, Waddingham, Goldstein, Thank you very much. Thank you. and Sudeikis all took home trophies for acting. I am eternally grateful. And the show won outstanding comedy series. Richmond was more of a cricket town than a football town. The Richmond Greyhounds may be a make-believe team, but Richmond the town is 100% real. This is the real version of the set. Yeah, you kind of can't fake Richmond, really. You yeah. Know? Um, this bar is great. Yeah. We basically built an exact replica, you know. <laughs> <laughs> this is not what I expected this today. Is the day we were there, so were fans of the show, including a young woman who had traveled from Germany and had just gotten a tattoo in honor of Ted Lasso. Still in a Ziploc. And it read, be curious, not judgmental. I mean, this is pretty special, being out here. Yes. We also took a walk on the field where the Richmond Greyhounds shoot most of their soccer scenes. I mean, it's kind of great. Your pitch is right near the studio. I know, I know. Something else. Happy accident. In typical Midwestern fashion, Jason Sudeikis was not entirely comfortable explaining the show's success, nor taking credit for it. What do you think the uh, legacy of Ted Lasso is decades from now? I don't know. I hope... I hope folks keep watching it. It's a decent chance it'll pay for my kid's college. Unless I, unless I blow it all. You don't think it's already done that? You don't think I've already blown it? <laughs> <laughs> I'm Scott Pelley. We'll be back next week with another edition of 60 Minutes. Save on Cox Internet when you add Cox Mobile and get fiber-powered internet at home and unbeatable 5G reliability on the go. 
So whether you're playing a game at home, yes, goal, or attending one live, goal! you can do more without spending more. Learn how to save at cox.com slash internet. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial cable. Cox Mobile runs on the network with unbeatable 5G reliability as measured by Ookla LLC in the U.S. to H 2023. Results may vary, not an endorsement. Other restrictions apply. It was the biggest scandal in pop music. The stars of Milli Vanilli, the Grammy-winning multi-platinum R&B phenomenon, were exposed as frauds, but none of this was their idea. So whose idea was it? Enter German music producer Frank Varian. He saw the success of acts like Michael Jackson and Prince, and he wanted in, no matter the cost. So he devised the perfect pop heist. Two once-in-a-lifetime talents who were charismatic, full of sex appeal, and phenomenal dancers. The only problem? They couldn't sing. But Frank knew just how to fix that. Wondery's new podcast, Blame It on the Fame, dives into one of pop music's greatest controversies and takes a never-before-heard look at the exploitation of two young Black artists. Millie Vanilli set the world on fire, but when the truth came out, Rob and Fab were the only ones who got burned. Looking back now, it's hard not to wonder, why did everyone blame them? and not the man pulling the strings. Follow Blame It on the Fame, Millie Vanilli, on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of Blame It on the Fame early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Are you a fan of 60 Minutes? You can represent the most watched series on television with shirts, sweatshirts, mugs, and more at ParamountShop.com. You can take 20% off with code MINUTES20. That's 20% off at checkout on all 60 Minutes products with code MINUTES20 at ParamountShop.com. 